Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 20, Ty Defoe, Story Nurturer, recorded live on July 8th in Lincoln Center's Clark Studio Theater in New York City. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply To people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan Can't understand what you're shouting about But when the past they plow The lives allowed are the only roads you can see Just remember the walls were built to fall For people like you and me Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now, it up now. Hey, hey, TA listeners Thank you for listening, and always remember, tell your peeps about this podcast, because if you tell somebody, and they tell somebody, and they tell somebody, that's how we grow. I love it. Happy July! Hey, did you know, this is my birthday month, um, and I have been celebrating a fairly uh, big milestone, and therefore, uh, I started early in last month and continued on through this last week. Uh, I got to spend time with family and friends from all different parts of my life. And this is all with the goal of bringing more joy and hope into the world. But ultimately, it's the year of CJB, though every year could be CJB year. But that's what I'm calling it because that helps me. That helps me with my goals. I will say that despite the fun uh, in celebrating our country's independence and my birthday, it's hard to ignore the glaring atrocity our country has been perpetrating for over a year now. I have a great deal of respect for children, and I continue to be amazed at how little respect our country has had for American kids as a whole, politically and otherwise, especially children of color. This current White House administration has been separating families seeking asylum at the southern border, and the conditions have been atrocious and getting worse daily. I personally have written and called my Congress members, but the situation continues to get worse, and I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what to do. It's very dark. It's incredibly dark. And as you know, I can get political and angry here and in in other spaces, hashtag Twitter sphere. And yet I've been trying to work on finding the ripples of hope in this particular issue. However, it is difficult to do. However, however, and but I read something recently that made me realize that the kind of platform I have with this podcast can help shed light and help me, you know, do the sort of um, exploration and discovery that I, I need. Um, and I, so I do it with you. 
Thanks. I don't know if you know, Jonathan Schmidt Chapman, um, he is the executive director uh, for theater for your young audiences or TYA USA. And he recently wrote in the organization's latest newsletter, something that got me um, thinking. Uh, so I thought I'd share a little bit with you. So um, he was inspired by um, something that the CEO of Highlights magazine wrote. Um, so this is Kent Johnson, and he recently issued what Jonathan calls as an unusual and uncharacteristically bold statement that denounced sa- uh, family separation. And um, I'm going to read this part. So uh, Kent wrote, quote, As a company that helps children be their best selves, curious, creative, caring, and confident, we want kids to understand the importance of having moral courage. Moral courage means standing up for what we believe is right, honest, and ethical, even when it is hard. This is not a political statement about immigration policy. This is about human decency plain and simple, end quote. So Jonathan then in in his newsletter goes on to talk about TYA professionals and leaders and how how and when we uh, in this field should speak up against particular issues um, and make bold statements as as, uh, Kent has in Highlights Magazine. Um, And then goes on to sort of talk about how there are pieces of work that are being presented or produced in certain or, uh, organizations that can help um, delve into dialogue or create open up spaces for dialogue around the migrant refugee diaspora story and reality. And so I don't have a statement like Kent. I don't have anything sort of eloquent, but um I am going to go with what Jonathan said is, you know, what is our role? And so I am asking you all, what is our role? What can we do? Um, and how can art uh, play a, a role in, in, in that role uh, or in that um, idea of speaking up and speaking out? Um, I don't have the answers. I just thought I'd pose more questions. Um, it helps me to think and maybe I will come up with some sort of statement and I will be able to figure out how uh, I can reach others or talk to others or open up spaces beyond sort of this the, the the political sphere so that's that's that <laughs> all right so on to the episode This actually is a very special episode of Teaching Artistry. We want to thank Lincoln Center Education for partnering with us to have a live podcast event as part of their summer forum keynote discussion series. And the live podcast event was called Indigeneity, Artistry, and Education with guest Ty Defoe. And in this conversation... Uh, we learn about Ty and his work as an artist and educator in front of a live audience. And it included a Q&A section, which is a first for our podcast. I have to say that I, I, I don't think I can express how much I adore Ty. Uh, uh, just 
that's it. He, amongst other things, um, he is, a, is an amazing storyteller and just a like a pure spirit, pure light. And I am really excited um, for you to hear this thrilling conversation. Here is episode 20, Ty Defoe, Story Nurturer. We welcome you to LCE. And now, please welcome Alex Sarian. Hey, everybody. How's day one? Wow. You are all not nearly exhausted enough as you should be. Um, it is not usually good form for me to come up here twice in one day, but I wanted to check in with everybody to see how day one was going. Um, if all goes well, you should not be seeing me again at any of these things uh, for the rest of your stay. You will be uh, meeting another uh, slew of amazing uh, speakers. Um, we are on the topic of teaching artistry here, and I know that many of you are looking at this in your lab. I realized that this morning I, I, I said a few things, um, and I needed to revisit them. So I, I went off and did some homework, and for any uh, history nerds uh, in the room, this is for you. Um, normally, when we talk about education at Lincoln Center, we look at the history of Lincoln Center education. We look at the history of Lincoln Center Institute, which is what we were called before we were LCE. Um, we don't really look beyond that. Um, and it's interesting because the history of teaching artistry, at least here at Lincoln Center, predates the history of Lincoln Center Institute and predates the history of LCE. So I have something that I want to share with you before we go into our amazing next uh, plenary session. So uh, real, I'm going to speed through this and then we can talk more about it, you know, over wine, which, by the way, is waiting for you at the end of this. Um, so, yes. So as you saw in the video today, we are turning 60. So it means that in 1959, construction began on Lincoln Center. Uh, in 1960, a year later, before any of the buildings began, um, Lincoln Center uh, hosted a press conference for more than 400 stud student journalists, editors, and photographers for New York City school papers. Um, that same year, a student art exhibition called Looking Forward to Lincoln Center opens at the Corning Glass Building, featuring 200 works by children from kindergarten through high school, exploring the theme, What Lincoln Center Means to Me. That same year, Lincoln Center partners with the New York City Department of Education to launch the Lincoln Center Student Program, designed to increase access for students to come see music, theater, and opera. In 1962, are you with me? Okay, 1962, David Geffen Hall opens. Um, in 1964, David Koch Theater opens, which is the home of the New York uh, City Ballet. And in 1966, the Met Opera House opens. All this while, Lincoln Center trying to get more and more students to come here as part of the opening Lincoln Center up. It's not until 1967, the year after the Met Opera House opens, that Lincoln Center starts hiring young artists, most of them at a Juilliard, and calling them resource professionals, or RPs, um, to visit schools and provide context before students came to Lincoln Center to see a show and reflect on the experience afterwards. Resource professionals would eventually go on to be called teaching artists. Now, this is 1967. It's not until 1974 that Lincoln Center's education department, it becomes officially Lincoln Center Institute. So the work of teaching artistry, as much as we want to talk about Lincoln Center education, as much as we want to talk about Lincoln Center Institute, the work of teaching artists on this campus predates any sort of formal arts education establishment. So it's important that we talk about it um, 
not through the history of LCI or LCE, but through the history of Lincoln Center. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you. And there's so much more. Teaching artistry has continued to evolve over the years, not just here, around the world. We have we have friends here that we made through the uh, International Teaching Artists Conference. We have, um, anyways, we can go on and on. Um, which leads me to our next session and our next guests. Um, uh, it is my pleasure to introduce uh, Courtney J. Body. You, many of you may know her as the Director of Education at the New Victory Theater. Um, Courtney, in her role, takes incredible care of teaching artists under her purview, but Courtney is also um, rare in that she cares about teaching artistry as a field beyond the purview of her responsibilities at uh, the New Victory Theater. Um, through her work with the New York City Arts and Education Roundtable, uh, the Teaching Artist Journal, and the Association of Teaching Artists, Courtney continues, um, and now through the podcast, which she created two years ago, uh, she continues to create a space where teaching artistry can be celebrated, where we can all raise the bar together, and as a community, we can uh, celebrate that we do collectively. Um, we are in for a treat because uh, we are uh, attending a live recording of her podcast today, where she will be interviewing Ty Defoe, and I'll let her introduce um, both the idea of the podcast, what our role is today in the podcast, and her special guest. So with Without further ado, please join me in welcoming Courtney J. Body and Ty Defoe. <laughs> oh, I can't see you all. Okay. Hi. Uh, thank you, Alex. Alex and I know each other for, I have known each other for a very long time and is one of my good friends. Don't let him be fooling you. Um, that, that was a very nice and lovely introduction, so thank you. So as uh, Alex said, my name is Courtney J. Body, and I am the Director of Education uh, at the New Victory Theater. I focus on school engagement, which we'll hear a little bit about, and then I also created this podcast um, to celebrate uh, teaching artists and celebrate artists and arts for all. Um, but I want to start today uh, by doing a land acknowledgement. So we'd like to acknowledge the land that we are on today. We are on the island known as Manahatta, now called Manhattan in Lenape Hoking, the homeland of the Lenape people. These lands are the intertribal trade lands and under the stewardship and protection of many more nations, including but not limited to the Karnarsi, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Matinecock, Merrick, and Rockaway. We acknowledge the systematic erasure of many nations across this land and recognize those still among us. New York City is home to over 115,000 intertribal Native American, First Nations, and Indigenous peoples, the largest out of any urban city across Turtle Island, which is known uh, as North America. We pay respect to all Native peoples, past, present, and future, and their continuing presence in the homeland throughout the indigenous diaspora. We offer our care, gratitude to the land, water, and air, and are committed to resisting colonialism and imbalance with Mother Earth through the support of indigenous-led protocols and artistic practices. So 
Thank you to Lincoln Center Education for partnering with the Teaching Artistry podcast for this kickoff keynote. Are you guys all tired? Yeah. <laughs> I've actually had the pleasure to uh, uh, not go to, but it be a, a, a guest facilitator, right, Eric? Right? Is that, there you are, I see you. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I know how hard uh, the work is, how long the days are, but how invigorating as well. So I'm really, really proud to be a part of this. Um, and as uh, Alex also said, that this podcast does celebrate um, artists, but it also opens up di dialogue, um, which has been helpful for me on my own journey in learning what my uh, con contribution can be to this field, but also just getting to know and spotlight artists who are doing really, really interesting work for other artists and other people who are interested in educators. Um, so if you don't know already, or if you haven't ever heard of it, subscribe. Hmm? <laughs> you can subscribe on um, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and also follow us on Facebook, you know, the Twitter, Instagram, all the places. Um, and then lastly, I just want to, before we get started, I want to thank my collaborators and team, otherwise known as the Pod Squad. Um, so Ben Weber is our producer. Um, can we give him a round of applause? <laughs> and... Um, Christopher Totten is our creative content manager. He is the only person who's allowed to take the pictures and tweet the tweets. Well, though you can tweet the tweets too. Christopher is over there. And then Brandon Hutchinson is our media arts coordinator. He's not here, but we can give him a round of applause too. <laughs> okay, so let me just give you some overview on how this works, and then I'm gonna let. But we're going to get to our guests. So um, we'll talk for a little bit, you and me, um, and then we'll open it up. So you may have some questions along the way that might be cooler and more interesting than the ones I have. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, but we'll have a moment where the house, house lights will come up and you'll have a chance to ask whatever questions that you have of, of either of us. And then, um, and then uh, we'll have some wine. How's that? Yeah? Um, and we'll both be there for a little bit. Okay. So I just want to share how I know Ty. Uh, I met, or I learned of Ty um, um, a lot, about a year ago, actually. We, at the New Victory, we presented a work that he co-created. And um, the first thing I remember is uh, watching a video and hearing his voice. And I was like, ooh, ooh. Interesting. And then we actually got to speak over the phone, so I was still just like learning who he was through his voice. And then we met in person, and it was like, kapow! Like, you know when those people come into your life, uh, you know, by happenstance or whatever, and you just know something's about to shift? And now, a year later, I can tell you it definitely is shifting, which is fantastic. So I am super proud <laughs> that uh, I called him up and said, will you do this with me? <laughs> and he said, yes. So can you introduce yourself? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for that. So hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, my name is Ty, and um, it's my chosen name. And um, my name is Gijig, and it means, uh, I guess, it's a storytelling name, and it's a name that was given to me when I was very young. And it means wherever I go, I make friends, and or the grass turns green. So the action of something turning green. I'm from the Oneida and the Ojibwe nations, from the great state of 
Wisconsin. <laughs> so, you have any Wisconsin? Oh, we have some Wisconsin ah. fans. Nice. <laughs> Love it. Um, but I reside here in New York City. And um, I also identify as Nijmani Tuwag, or Two-Spirit. Um, so I hold that with me. I'm a descendant of Chief Buffalo. Um, so those are my peoples and where I've come from. And uh, many more stories I think that we're going to get into. But yeah. for now, I'll, I'll say hello. <laughs> oh. um, can you, uh, what kind of artist or artists do you identify as? Yeah, so... I, I identify as an uh, interdisciplinary shape-shifting artist, meaning that I operate in all the disciplines at the same time. I'm one of those like hyphenated people that are finding themselves in many different places with the tendrils of an octopus, right? And uh, stirring many pots and many different art forms. But mostly I think also that I'm a storyteller predominantly, mm-hmm. also connecting lots of communities together at many intersections. Excellent. Artiste. Okay, so let's go back to artiste. <laughs> um, well, we had this conversation the other day about like the yeah. slashes and that there's yes. a blending that you you do, this inter- interconnectedness, which you oh, dropped yes. that and I was like, oh, why? Okay, I love it. I love it. I need to think about that. Um, so uh, let's go back to, um, I like to ask this question yeah. often for my guests is, I feel like you're too far away. I know, we should get closer. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> we're also going to call this the Ty and Courtney giggle show. Yeah. But you like, know, whenever like, we talk, we just uh, giggle. So much. Um, I want to know, because we haven't really talked about this. Mm-hmm. I feel like actually I, I recall you telling a story uh, about being a kid, but I would love to know um, where, you know, more about where you grew up, but more, yeah. more around specifically around arts and how the arts were either introduced to you or present in your life as a kid. Yeah, so good question. <laughs> I um yeah, I guess I it started for me just uh thinking back and remembering, you know, I was one of I guess uh, a child that you just a child you weren't sure what to do with. This like, oh, wow, how can we occupy this individual? Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes finding places where there was lots of trouble, hard to focus, hard to concentrate, one of those youths. And um, so what happened was, is I was staying with my grandmother one summer and an uncle of mine brought over uh, a hoop and the hoop was uh, made out of willow. So he gave me one hoop that was made out of willow and one hoop that was made out of iron, both of these hoops, obviously willow, the um, material's very light, mm-hmm. and iron, you know, obviously very heavy. Mm-hmm. So what I had to do then was to learn a dance, and this dance was called the hoop dance, or hoop of life dance, and it was celebrating the interconnectedness of all things. Um, artistry, people, how to live, um, how to interconnect things like being slow and moving fast at the mm-hmm. same time. So through this movement and art form, over and over again I had to practice, um, that just like kept me busy like all summer long. Um, And by doing that, I met a mentor of mine, Kevin Locke, that sort of took me under his wing and said, I, ah, this is really wonderful what you're learning. Like, let's collaborate and work together. So what I ended up doing was meeting a mentor who actually took me from my reservation in Northern Wisconsin. And we went traveling around the world doing cultural and artistic exchanges. And um, meanwhile, while I was working with Kevin, we went to um, places all over Europe. We went to the Middle East. We went to, um, I mean, you name it, we went there. And what we did was perform and did these exchanges from libraries to schools 
to theaters, um, to people's homes, uh, creating dialogues and um, learning about other people's cultures and songs and language at the same time as like gifting those. So there was this type of like gift giving to me that was happening. And so that is essential for what I'd like to think as art, um, the reciprocity of exchange or the reciprocity of teachings. <laughs> See, and I, I love that. I love it. I, uh, I'm seeing you. How old were you when you were traveling? So I was about seven years old. What? <laughs> yeah, it was wild. And so what yeah. were you thinking? Like, well, I want to like, know how you're feeling, but you know, like, what, were you, what was good? Besides the, you know, like, yeah. did, do you think that that experience shaped, you know, your life as an adult or the work that you do as an adult? Yeah, absolutely. Because people are like, well, Ty, where was your mom? What was she thinking? Was she worrying? You know, some of these questions. But my mom was definitely, you know, interested in the arts, uh, politically active in our community. Mm -hmm. She was working on the Indian Child Welfare Act to foster youth to go to families that were culturally sensitive. And so Mm -hmm. we would travel a lot as I was like, even a youth, I'd have tons of brothers and sisters around me all the time, you know. So it was like, like family and this notion of, and you'll hear it a lot in, my community is, um, you know, all my relations or Nindaway Namaganug, we're all related. And so that theory, that practice was put into place by my mom. So going with someone who was a mentor that was going to teach me things, or I really felt a sort of kismet relationship to Mm. was really, um, not fearful to me. It was really like, wow, this is really exciting because I get to see the rest of the world and society and see what's happening out there. I, I like when I was seven. I, I I don't know what I was doing. How old are you in seventh grade? When I mean, you're seven, first, first grade, second grade, second. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I was really good at math. That's all I remember in like like reading. Okay. That's good. Uh, <laughs> I liked fireworks too. Yeah. I mean, like it was fireworks like, are the best. It was like. <laughs> Wait, can you tell yeah. that story? Can you tell the story about the fireworks? Oh, the fireworks yeah. story. Did anybody okay. see the, the fireworks this week? They were amazing, right? It was so good. Can you tell a story? Just tell it. Oh, when I first came to yeah. New York? Yeah. Uh, okay, so <laughs> when I first came to New York, yeah, I, I actually like didn't know where I was going to live, et cetera. And, um, you know, through just an artist friend, they said, Ty, there's this really great apartment in Midtown. So I know how many of you been through Midtown. There's like tons of people. Some folks really love it and or it's the armpit, right, of New York City because it's so hot and what's happening there? I don't know. <laughs> I show up and I meet, um, you know, my now really great friend, Wesley Watley and roommate, um, you know, and I'm native. I have like all my gear with me for teaching things that I've been practicing my entire life to do and, you know, make friends, etc. And uh, I meet Wesley and he opens up the door and I'm like, hey, Wesley, how's it going? Like, I'm your new roommate. I'm Ty. And I introduce myself as I did to you all today. I'm from XYZ Nation. Here's my name. Here's what it means. And Wesley opens the door and he's like, hi, I'm the, you know, the creative director for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, you know, and... (laughs) You all are teaching artists, as you know, Thanksgiving is quite problematic to my community. (laughs) So, (laughs) 
as the world has it, Wesley and I sit down for many hours of coffee, <laughs> um, you know, and we sit down and we talk and we, you know, just talk about life, but we talk about his job. We talk about indigenous philosophy, but I feel like, you know, some things in life you just can't plan for. <laughs> and that was one of those times. So to this day, we have like the most amazing, wonderful conversations about this and, you know, really, truly how to disrupt how to undo, unfurl, <laughs> right? Things and systematic things that sort of take apart communities and or silo people. And this is just like a beautiful example about creating dialogue, about creating art together and reciprocity. Yeah. And so Wesley was the one who, who created the fireworks, right? Mm-hmm. And come to find out Wesley's the, he does also the fireworks. So he was like, Ty, here are tickets to see the fireworks that you can go. So we went and I went and watched the fireworks. I'm like, this is amazing because, you know, as I was saying, I got into a lot of trouble as a youth. Um, and on the reservation, you can buy fireworks. I remember bringing them with me to the city to sell at one point because I was like, oh, I can make money. I can really do something with myself. So as you can see and synthesize all these stories together, it was really great. I found mentors and people to help me along to keep me out of trouble. And ironic that Wesley has like the biggest fireworks of them all so <laughs> amazing it's so amazing yeah I love that. it's too good do you think that do you think that those conversations have had an impact like are we seeing some of the impact of your conversations with him do you, on display do you know what I'm saying am I, yeah. saying, am I asking a real question I don't know yeah I think <laughs> I think so yeah I think with I, him but yeah. like just with people that I mean mm-hmm. I think you know the whole idea is that because I feel like there's a, a shyness a little bit about talking about uncomfortable things to talk about, right? Like, oh, you're not supposed to talk about that. But mm-hmm. when you come from an all my relations family, you talk about everything <laughs> down to like all of the small things. So I think in that way, from my youth, from my mom, from my mentor and things like that, it was opening and creating a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Even if you didn't agree about something, it was like make space for that so that you can actually take action to create new ways of learning, mm-hmm. maybe new pathways, maybe new models together. Hmm. Well, uh, I don't know sorry. if I answered your no, question. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, I mean, it does matter, but it's oh, just yeah. like I, 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 uh, I think where I'm thinking is about mm-hmm. how we have, as as educators, as artists, we're always mm-hmm. hoping that we have some sort of impact. These sort of coffee chats that you were having with Wesley, mm-hmm. and this large display mm-hmm. that like millions of people watch. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just curious because there is the. Um, <laughs> you know, July, we're celebrating America's independence. Mm. Like mm-hmm. there's just a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm, th- I'm mm-hmm. asking. And how, how, you know, how is that, how is that artistic display? What is that saying to us as Americans? Mm-hmm. But does that have, is there anything underneath that um, mm. in terms of the kinds of conversations, the disruption does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You don't have to answer that. I'm just No, I think curious. like, <laughs> I think, well, I could talk a lot, many, many hours about colonialism. And I think. Well, let's get in that. I, I guess that's I where mean, I was should going. Should we go there? Should we go well, there? Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> the reason why I, I think that's where I was going is mm-hmm. you said, you know, people don't like to discuss, you know, certain 
uh, have conversations or yeah. certain topics because it is uncomfortable. Yeah. But art can can open up dialogue and there are other ways of opening up dialogue so that we can, like you said, disrupt or shift and, mm-hmm. and look at things in a new light to mm-hmm. take action in a new way. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that I've been I've been curious about in my own work and have had some conversations, whether it's on the podcast or in general, is um, you know, under colonialism, there's this idea of perfectionism Mm -hmm. and that's not actually attainable. Mm -hmm. And I think we are seeing evidence of like how it's not attainable. And then there's that can grow into anger and the way that we're not having those dialogues and how we are having those dialogues Mm -hmm. are turning into like, instead of being constructive, they're just destructive. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about (laughs) colonialism and how I, you know, you said the word disrupt Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do have a question on here somewhere uh-huh. about how we as artists, uh, we as educators can disrupt mm-hmm. um, and what that can look like um, in order to make change. Yeah, I kind of think about this idea and, you know, many people have thought of this idea before about a ripple effect, like mm-hmm. taking a pebble to water and having concentric circles that ripple out. I feel like these conversations that individuals can have, like ripple out into other atmospheric places, such as like schools or theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's really exciting as an artist in particular is being nimble in those conversations, one. And then two, I also found a great effect because I feel like as teaching artists as people that have actual influence over culture shifting, that's really important Mm. because the next generation is coming up and now are going to be the decision makers for the future. So, you know, a great, uh, another mentor, someone I look up to as well, Winona LaDuke talks about the dream, right? She talks about the dream. And if you aren't dreaming like seven years beyond yourself, you aren't dreaming big enough. If you're not dreaming seven years beyond where you are living today, you're not Mm -hmm. dreaming big enough. And I constantly go back to that in regards to personal strategic planning, um, planning even in within institutions about legacy. And I feel like that seven generation model is so important Mm -hmm. in terms of disrupting, undoing, and also taking um, action around, you know, colonialism or the great colonialism project that we actually all are a part of and somehow participate in it, whether Mm -hmm. we're aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather, you know, default to the side of being aware of it so I can learn to undo all the things that were placed upon us as, you know, just people in the world living. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect questions. I don't know. I think that I think that gets us towards um, core values. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say core anyway. Um, so, um, yeah. Could you share? Could you name a few of your core values or your personal miss- mission, which I think we're hearing mm. some of them and how they manifest in your artistry, but oh, also right. in any other aspect of your work. Yeah, we we talked a little bit about yeah. this, um, and one of them is interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is so important because when you think about colonialism, colonialism, and this project of people, but project of land is parsing out like square pieces of land to create ownership over something, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, in, in any indigenous language in our culture, there is no word in any language to describe own, right? 
own is one of those things that mm-hmm. is written on paper. It's one of the hardest things because it relates to us personally and also like our families, um, the places where we need to sleep, rest, eat, have shelter, those types of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in thinking about that, I think as a, um, you know, undoing that as a core value is important because I think the idea is going back to the core of it, of leading sort of uh, the interconnectedness of heart and the mind together. Mm. So if we have to operate in a simulated society with ownership, right? <laughs> that's like a big thing because yeah. people aren't going to give up their apartments or their homes. I mean, that, that takes a lot because we all have families mm. and, and things of this nature, but what it, what what if you did right and or worked mm-hmm. towards that because of so far deep that we are in this like great you know colonialism project? Mm-hmm. So the idea or a core value that I was thinking about is evolving, right? Evolving as a society through interconnectedness. Evolving, evolving, we as mm-hmm. in we. Yeah. Evolving. Instead of revolving, revolving. Yeah. So, so these dialogues, for instance, are a way to uh, interconnect. Um, not just like dialogue about it, but really taking action for it. Like maybe, and that could show up in you know offering spaces at artistic institutions, for example, mm-hmm. for people maybe that don't have spaces, or it could look as something as small as offering meals to someone else if you have extra food, that kind of thing. So I think it goes from something that's like very small and little to something that's mm-hmm. very big. But this idea of evolving is one, and then the other idea is to inter to have like interconnectedness knowing that using teaching and art as tools to really motivate people to take action in whatever way possible <laughs> so so how does okay great so we evolving yeah. interconnectedness yeah you, t- you talked about art but you haven't actually explained so how does it how does it manifest how do these ideas manifest in your art making Mm. So in my art making, what I do is um, sometimes I'll go into like a art institution, for example, or school or something like that. And it's, um, you know, there's a lot of internal work that happens. So creating the conversations with folks that are on teams, right? I think like we systematically fall into some kind of pattern Mm. because that's what colonialism is. You fall, fall into a type of pattern. So I think what I do as an artist is get in there and sort of like, create questions and conversations so that people can undo a pattern to maybe find a new pattern Mm -hmm. that either works or doesn't work for individuals that are in a real snapshot in time doing the work. So it's like all the people behind the scenes when you let everything down to Mm -hmm. create conversations. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second thing is is inviting community in with uh, uh, invitation or extending the invitation to people maybe who aren't there. You know, oftentimes we hear this like, well, who's not at the table? Mm. who's not at the table um, to have this conversation. It's like, well, set the table up, you know, with your team and then, um, you know, think about like who you need to feed, right? So like have the food there so people could already come and eat food. So that's like another way. So in round table conversations, I'll do that. Um, Oftentimes, sometimes too, I'll actually go and do workshops with, uh, you know, people in community, part of the community engagement. Mm, Um, mm, But mm. with these hoops, how they've traveled back is an example is at New Victory Dance, which I'll I'll be at this summer if you're around New York City, (laughs) is... um, 
you know, partnering with organizations. We're going to have youth come on to the New Victory stage, for mm-hmm. example, and participate in some of the hoop dancing that I'll be doing. So teaching them ancient culture or ritual and um, showing them about how to appreciate the art without appropriating it. And that mm-hmm. could also happen with uh, adults as well. So mm-hmm. um, everybody's like sort of learning at the same time. Yeah. And and I love that. that I, so Victory Dance is, is at the New Victory and it's... Um, it's got three different programs. So program B, it's next week, seven o'clock, be there. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, the idea, I love this idea, is that the kids will come up and just be a part of it so that they're learning as part of a performance, mm-hmm. but it will feel like performance and learning all at the same time. It's yeah. very striking. Yeah, I think it's like embodied learning almost. Yeah. You know, this idea of like, wow, you get to try that. So I kind of see some of these things cyclically coming back from my life. Like, oh, I got to try mm-hmm. m- creating Sufi music at one point in my life. What's that? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. It's like, um, we did it with these uh, Quran bowls and we emptied one bowl of water into the other and created sound paths and waves. And we did that in like a workshop when I was like 10. Mm -hmm. And then later on, meeting people of this culture and tradition and Mm -hmm. having a conversation about it, being like, oh yeah, you know, I did this practice and you know, we talked about it, which was interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I can't (laughs) wait for next week. (laughs) So many Uh, things. (laughs) Um, On your website, I I did some digging. (laughs) Um, um, The landing page actually says, rooted in words, Mm -hmm. a shapeshifter of artistic expression brings stories to life. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of language. Um, My grandma was one of the last language teachers of a specific dialect from our nation. Mm -hmm. So at growing up too, I got to learn the language or, you know, she was trying to teach me even though I, you know, didn't want to. I was like, no, I can't. I, you know, want to be like everybody else that speaks English mm. in some way, you know, or this thought of, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, etc. Mm. Um, but, you know, learned the language and the culture and the traditions and, um, you know, got really fascinated with linguistics, um, both in the spoken word, but also in the written word, as mm. well as even in body language and dance. So sort of this like rooted in words is really important Mm -hmm. because I feel like language matters, Um, how we talk to each other, the things that we say, um, you know, dreams, visions, hopes that we put out there, I feel like is important because I feel, you know, going back to colonialism a little bit is the idea about being systematically silenced. However you identify, there's this whole thing about being silenced. Mm -hmm. So what are the ways at which we can be like loud and proud and overtly (laughs) taking action to doing things? Mm -hmm. And I feel like we see that in many different kinds of ways. So I feel like being rooted in words, um, shape-shifting to different places and spaces is important. Because if we're like, I feel as though if I'm doing one thing constantly, which I can do, that I feel as though that, you know, there's there's so much, there's so much in the world to put together. So as an art form, mm. I think about putting it together. Shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you call yourself a teaching artist? You know, I didn't know what that was until you told me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess I have... What is a teaching artist? What is a teaching artist? That would be a good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, what a very a simple artist? you know, version is artists who believe that um, teaching or educating is a part of their craft, mm. I think. And there's lots of definitions for it. And the, there's sort of, um, I'll use Eric Booth for a moment, that uh, there's like an umbrella, teaching artist sort of is an umbrella, and underneath are lots of different terms that, um, you know, like witness or facilitator or are mm. a artist teacher, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you can be more specific if you'd like. Um, and that teaching artist sort of enca- encapsulates mm. all, of, all of those potential terms. Um, in my opinion, as somebody who like <laughs> has a podcast <laughs> about it, it, it can be a lot of different things. And I, I think that's why I'm excited about having these kinds of conversations because I get to continue to talk to people who will help to evolve the definition. And it, it, I, that, so my ultimate question for you is, uh, and maybe it's to the whole, all of us, is do we think that teaching artists are shapeshifters? Mm. Mm. <laughs> right. Excellent. So, some are, and maybe we are. I mean, if, we, if, if you think about shifting space, Mm-hmm. or shifting dynamics. I think teaching artists do that or artists can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you're, as, as you describe being mm-hmm. a, a shapeshifter mm-hmm. um, and this interconnectedness, I'm assuming that that's part mm-hmm. of it, or utilizing different art forms to create different kinds of ways of expressing stories. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, in the culture in Anishinaabe culture, it's often referred to as people that are, are people, but also it has this, you know, the interconnectivity, meaning like two-legged, four-legged, winged, and the rooted, that everything's totally connected and shape-shifting, meaning that at one point, because it, it stems out of origin stories mm. about a person sort of, um, becoming one with, and I feel like that's important. And how I translate that, I think, into contemporary times or to the society that we live in is actually thinking about the word empathy and what empathy is. So how exactly do you teach someone empathy? That's a question. Write that one down. <laughs> um, I, I, I am also curious about that as how, um, and maybe it's, it's, it's similar to your story when you were seven, right? The Mm. idea of being able to be exposed and interact with, um, people from other cultures, um, and learn more about how, how and why they do the work that they do or the things that they do and live. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, the more you can learn about other people's lives, um, and connect them back to your own builds. A pathway towards empathy mm. that's actually we've done some research around that um mm. so that's kind of what we've been trying to find out is can arts actually be a bridge towards building empathy in young people um yeah um oh oh my i had a lot of questions we've asked like almost all of them um so I, i'm curious um we talked about uh or I feel like this is maybe also on your website and I was doing a, a more um, research. Um, what does indigeneity mean? 
Yeah, that's <clears throat> such a great question in terms of, you know, oftentimes people ask me, Ty, what does, you know, what are, um, what's the difference between saying you're Native or Native American or, you know, what community or, um, or what does it mean to be Indigenous? And when I think about indigeneity, I'm definitely leaning towards um, honoring the past, thinking about where we are now, and then also thinking about the seven generations ahead right. um, through indigeneity and through the indigeneity lens, right? So I think about that because I also relate that to the land, like how we are all here right now, how we're gonna steward space, um, not even space here, you know, at Lincoln Center, but I think mm -hmm. space in terms of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. Like I work in a lot of communities all the way from Newtok, Alaska, that's falling into the Pacific Ocean, you know, across Turtle Island in these communities to make art and to learn things. So how are we stewarding together over Mother Earth so that the actual ground that we walk on will still be here. The water that we're drinking will be clean, you know. Um, so I, when I think about indigeneity, this idea, um, the idea is a is about that, is about caring for Mother Earth together mm. um, and using the arts and teaching as a platform <laughs> mm -hmm. to do that. Um, so this this idea of seven generations ahead, like thinking you're not dreaming big enough, that's a big new idea for, for me, at least, I don't know about anybody else, but, um, I, I'm going to go off topic for just a second, I think, because I, I've been, as somebody who doesn't have children, that's hard to think about the future, but I think about the, the kids that I, um, you know, support in bringing into our, our, uh, to our stage to see shows on our stage, excuse me. And, um, the people that I work with who also have impact on kids' lives and, um, the fact that we are um, living in a world where governments are denying climate change um, and or actively trying to cut off resources such as water mm -hmm. to certain areas. Um, I don't understand that mentality. And I notice, um, and just thinking about myself, I notice that I get stuck on that as opposed to thinking, thinking bigger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. I guess I think what my question is, is um, could you offer up some ideas if anybody else is feeling that way in this room? Uh, what are some particular aspects or actions that we could take to be starting to think about seven generations mm -hmm. into the future, knowing that that could be long beyond some of the science that we're hearing about in terms of climate change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of thinking about that, it's also like taking moments with yourself. Um, I'm sure we all heard the metaphor of, you know, putting on the oxygen mask before you can, you know, put the mask on someone else mm -hmm. to like take care of them if like a plane is crashing and these types of metaphors. And I feel like there there is some... Um, truth in that in regards to, yeah, a lot of self-care, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of teachers, a lot of artists are like come from this world of giving, giving, giving constantly. Or if you're a mother or a female identified person, there's a, a, a truth about that idea of nurturing and, and nurturing things. And so when I think about um, that, just like taking moments of self-care, but also like breathing life into something, which is just making sure that you can take breaths each day to really think about and to 
just open yourself up to what might happen that day. And that's like a really hard practice. And you probably be like, Ty, I've done that, <laughs> been there, you know, these types of things. But I feel like there is, you know, some kind of sincerity and honesty in that. Mm. Um, and then really thinking about past, but also like thinking about the future. And that's just training, like going to the gym or something like that mm. of your mind, because this mind, this mind that we all have, and the Anishinaabe have this philosophy of, we are the youngest species put on planet, right? Human beings are the youngest species when you think about it, right? Put on the planet. Mm. So therefore we have a lot more learning to do if we look at our brothers and sisters, when we're all related, then the four-legged, you know, the winged, the rooted. And so we have a lot to learn so that taking breaths for yourself and for the future is really important to like try to create that bridge of empathy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love it. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. I- <laughs> I was well as as you speak. I try to think about like what yeah. is I connecting to? What, is, what am I? What are the uh, visuals that I'm seeing? And um, uh, yeah, I I just think that I that idea is great. I feel again just going back to this idea of perfectionism is yeah. that it feels overwhelming, right? And so therefore we just don't take any steps. But if you yeah. start with yourself, mm-hmm. then and build a practice, that idea then can can have that ripple effect because it'll start to manifest in other parts of the actions that we take. Oh yeah. I love what you said in our conversation we had. (laughs) You said, Ty, I'm like, what do you do, Courtney? You said, (laughs) I'm like a spider. We got, we get in these deep conversations. (laughs) I'm like a spider. I weave one loop, the next loop, the next loop, and you weave it all together until it becomes this big, beautiful web. Right? Yeah, I forgot about you. (laughs) That's me. That's me. Something about a web, a spider, and something else. Like it was really, yeah, it was great. And that's that's important, right? Like it's like a movement, another movement, another one, and another one. And that's how that ripple effect. I mean, you know, put it in all these different ways. But I feel like it all is part of that great circle, right? That great hoop. Yeah. I love it. I have so many questions. That's why I'm like, oh, um, I'm not doing my job great. It's not happening. You do it good. You do it good. <laughs> um, okay. So I, what I want to, I want to talk about, um, I want, I, here's what I want to know. Okay. So the show that we had, um, uh, Adi Jack. Oh yeah. Is that my pronouncing it correctly? Mm-hmm. Adi Jack mm-hmm. on Turtle Island. I would love to hear about the process of that, what that was, if you can explain it to everybody, because mm-hmm. I really want to get into your art. Like, I feel like we keep talking sort of around your art, which mm. I, I think is fine, but mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. get there. Um, <laughs> and the reason why is because for me, I think, um, you know, as, as, as folks who can be as for me specifically, I'll just talk about myself and then I don't know. I don't know any of you. Sorry. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to just speak my own truth instead of assuming anything about you all. But I, I find as somebody who, you know, works full time, has this podcast, has a lot of, a lot of balls, you know, juggling a lot of balls. One of those balls that tend to drop art is the art making piece or being mm-hmm. feeling like I'm being creative. Mm-hmm. So I want to know more about not just your process and in, in bringing people to the table, setting the table and bringing mm-hmm. people in, but like, <clears throat> What are the stories that you want to tell and mm-hmm. how, how are they um, coming together for you um, in terms of being the artist? Mm-hmm. So I want to tell stories that light 
a fire or a firework, if we're going with that, since we mentioned it, <laughs> that ignite inspiration, that ignite change. And a part of that is uh, surrounding myself with the most dynamic, amazing collaborators in terms of making art. So a G-Jack on Turtle Island was a theater spectacle that happened and it was... Um, uh, kite flying. It was traditional storytelling reaching over like 60 different tribal people that participated in it. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of process was just as important as product and also um, surrounding myself with a team that could really like push that mm -hmm. agenda forward in terms of also making sure that the artistic show when youth came to see it and teachers and people were just over the moon for it. And they were like, oh my gosh, there is hope in the world again. <laughs> or they would sit down out of the classroom and learn about um, indigenous cultures and indigenous people because I feel like for so long, these stories were forgotten or there was some sort of historical amnesia that happens, I think, like climate change and um, things like this. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to write a really amazing story operating in a colonistic structure, right, mm -hmm. of historically... Um, I think taken out like native stories of the American theater. So it was make something that was just so amazing that people would flock to come see the show right. that had to do with a little tiny crane named a G-Jack and due to the loss of her parents, right? She had to go and search and find them um, on her great migration cycle stemming from the north of Canada all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and then return back home to her nest to ultimately find herself and so that every year there would be another G-Jack that would happen. And along the way in the story, it was told by a grandmother, um, Grandma Aki, that told the story, or Grandmother Earth. And she told the story, um, and the actress was Joan Allison Henry, who was amazing. So working with indigenous people and creating an authenticity around this show is really important. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my artistry too during that time was uh, to write the show, but to make sure it was authentically sound, to make sure the multimedia and video projections and everything was like happening at the same time. So mm -hmm. also why I co-directed the piece making sure the puppets that were just falling down from the trees, turning into deer, were just, you know, how I remember them when I was like 10 years old, watching bark peel off of trees, um, finding the top artists here in New York City to do that, making sure some of the materials were, you know, sound for the earth, and then also finding a team of people who have to deal with all the funding components to that, which is a whole other art form unto itself, <laughs> um, right? Mm. <laughs> Working with um, just a, a great people at the New Victory Theater, creating teaching guides so that when people came to see the show, that they would know what they were seeing, that I didn't have to inform people of this great missing piece that they didn't know about the Anishinaabe people or the Great Woodlands people, that I could just be an artist and tell this story mm -hmm. unapologetically. I'm like, wow, when do I get to do that? Mm -hmm. And so when someone entrusts you with trust, they say, here's the time, the space, the funding. <laughs> fireworks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fireworks. <laughs> I love this theme. Uh, speaking of fireworks, uh, do people have questions? And if you do, now is the time to ask them. So I think we're going to bring the... Is that right? Am I making this up? Uh, yeah, look at that. Magic. Fireworks. Um, if you have a question, there are mics here. 
So you can come on down and ask. Uh, and you can ask a question of Ty, you can ask a question of me or both of us together. Um, I'll just round out while people are thinking about it and, and being brave um, uh, to just round out what you were talking about right. in terms of the the education piece. So I oversaw all that. Um, <laughs> and Christopher actually was part of writing the guide. But the, the kind of work that we ended up doing right. was educating ourselves um, in order to not be... Um, uh, it's not our job as because we're, we're not indigenous. It's not our job to um, act as if we're teaching, but actually to find access. So we were able to actually um, reach out to the, um, the um, National, the Smithsonian um, Museum of the American Indian, and they provided a host of amazing resources and gave us some information to help us sort of put a touchstone on within, but then to give more um, um, links and, and other materials to the teachers who did a, a really a lot. They built units out of it. So it was it was a tremendous piece. And then it was just like a beautiful piece of theater. So it was great. Did I see somebody walk down? Yeah. Oh, please. To my knowledge, I have not met a two-spirit person before, mm. so I really wanted you to explain what that means. It's a totally new concept to me. Mm. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you for the question. And um, yeah, so two-spirit, how many people have heard of this term before? Just to show hands, okay. So some people have heard of it in some way. It's starting to come up a little bit more. You know, New York City had World Pride and there was also the uh, Queer Liberation March that was happening, right? Movements out of other movements that are going on. And I think uh, two-spirit is a term that's coined by many indigenous communities as someone that identifies on, on a type of gender spectrum. Right. Um, the notion, too, that colonialism, when you're born and you're interpreted by a doctor, you have to, you know, put a gender marker on your birth certificate, M or F, right, here in the United States, at least. And, um, you know, two-spirit means that you are somewhere within that spectrum, right? You can be anywhere on that spectrum. So for me personally, I am just like out and spoken about that as a two-spirit individual. Um, you know, I say Nijmani Tawag, and the real translation of something like that is two-spirit, but even further than that, the verb means to transcend gender, right? To transcend gender, not meaning you're above gender and that's like beyond something, right? <laughs> or below it, right? But you're transcending gender, meaning it's just something else. And in some kind of way, however you identify on that spectrum, I'm sure people, whether it's your identity, your expression, how you feel inside, you're somewhere on that spectrum and maybe on a journey of that or, or maybe not. Um, oftentimes people refer this to, yes, um, being transgender, which I guess in English terms I would identify as being transgender um, sometimes. Um, oftentimes two-spirit is also someone that um, could also identify as being gay male or uh, butch lesbian, for example, also identify as being two-spirit. So it just runs the, the entire spectrum. Um, and that's where language becomes so, so important. But two-spirit also means queer, right? And which is a new term that has been adopted by the pride community or the, you know, the LBGTQ plus community or the TGNC and other acronyms community. So yeah. thank you for asking. Yeah. Next question. 
So I'm, I'm big into politics, and you had mentioned your mother and fighting for the foster children. I know the act. I know the outcome of that. Mm-hmm. Is your mother still around? Is mm-hmm. she still fighting for some um, issues, um, lo- uh, local issues for Wisconsin natives or natives across the country? And then as a tie to what I do as um, a history teacher, mm-hmm. we talk about the AIM movement. We talk about um, the broken treaties I actually have. In the past, there's a beautiful speech, and I can't remember the title of it, about the broken treaties from the mm-hmm. 60s. But I'm looking for modern, either art, poems, mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. that brings the kids beyond what they traditionally think is tribal mm-hmm. and brings it into modern context. I might be able to bring up the modern issues um, to them in a real way, but using mm-hmm. art as a form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, really great multiplicity of questions, and I'll try and touch on some. No, they're great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. So my mother is still around. She's still like doing her thing, and she, um, you know, she's older now, and she's like, well, that's why I had children. So now I'm passing this all on to you. So there's that. The other thing is, she is in Wisconsin, and, and um, some of my other family are as well. I'm actually flying there right after this podcast to work at a school called the Indian Community School that I went to um, off and on a lot of during the Urbanization Act that was happening in Wisconsin. Families and in the Midwest were going to cities um, to find actually help for youth because they were getting attacked because of their identity. Um, A lot of the young boys, because they had long hair, ended up cutting their hair because of this. Um, The American Indian Movement, as you mentioned, um, that was happening during the occupation of Alcatraz that was happening in 1960. There was a lot of takeovers that were going on. So I'm working on a show there actually um, to talk about the history of the Indian Community School because there are three mothers, you all might find this interesting, um, who pulled their kids out of school because of a lot of the racial politics of the time. And they started their um, own school in their living room. And um, more and more families start to show up with their youth. And, um, you know, they started then, they got so big, they went into a church basement for free because that was the free space that was offered. They got crayons, colored pencils, like all these things. And they started to do culture and academics at the same time and tried to be sound with the state and, you know, getting all of like the standardized testing and everything that was going on. And then during that occupation, they actually took over an old Coast Guard station on the lakefront of Milwaukee. And it was the old Coast Guard station school. And uh, from there, because at the time there was high stakes bingo, the school got funded by high stakes bingo of people, (laughs) you know, it's complicated, complicated things. And now they have a school in the suburbs, um, beautiful acre, like I think it's like over 250 acres of land that youth get to, um, you know, get bust in from, the city to this piece of land to learn ceremony, songs, tribal dances, um, academics. Um, they administer like three different languages at the school, Menominee, Potawatomi, and Anishinaabe language. Um, to answer some of your other questions about um, contemporary things, post Standing Rock, of course, because that was a, where the entire world had an eye on Standing Rock. There's lots of syllabuses that came out of Standing Rock, but from that, there was a surgence of art that was going on that was already happening, but people were saying, hey, we need to talk about this thing that we're seeing on television that has to do with the water, that's having to do with climate change mm-hmm. and all kinds of things politically. So more and more artists were had then a theme, I think, to take action around that, as well as teachers, right? Working with people in schools that wanted to teach about this stuff. So I think, you know, there was a little bit of Trojan horse action that was going on in mm-hmm. schools when, you know, you're not supposed to talk about specific things through utilizing art was a tool, right, to like educate 
educate and re-educate to talk about language. Um, yeah, so if, if you're interested, I can give Courtney a list and maybe put it up on Everything the podcast or something of yeah. there's like all kinds of like poetry and music and songs, not just about sending rock, but I think, you know, even from, you know, like circa 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s that are still relevant mm. that I feel as a person today is like coming full circle again. You know, there's like Scott Momaday, uh, Way to Rainy Mountain. You know, some of these poems are Leslie Mormon Silco uh, in her book, Ceremony. There's other things like Indigenous Comic-Con that are coming out too that happens every year in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where there's, you know, youth that are becoming digital, um, you know, digital design artists and mm -hmm. creating these comic books with to revitalize the language. So there's many different um, new arts are finding their way mm -hmm. to talk about rich cultural traditions so that some of these contemporary themes could live on tomorrow. All right. So we have time for this last question. Go ahead. So I was standing here, hi Ty, um, you pretty much answered my question, but uh, maybe you could elaborate a little bit more. So you introduced yourself um, in uh, your native language and mentioned learning uh, from your grandmother, I believe. Um, so you mentioned also just now about some efforts to keep native languages alive. Um, and if you could tell us more about that in terms of um, are certain languages in, in danger of dying? Um, what um, and what efforts are being done or made to preserve these languages? Um, tell us more about your grandmother. I'd love to hear more about her. <laughs> Anything you want to tell us? <laughs> oh yeah, no, for Thanks. sure. Yeah. So if you look up, her name is Cecilia Smart. She was uh, she was great. And people say, Ty, your last name is Defoe. Where did that come from? And actually, it was like one of three names that our family could choose. It was St. Germain, Poupart, and Defoe. And they were like, okay, the one with the shortest letters, Defoe. So, you know, uh, northern Wisconsin mixing with the French uh, mm -hmm. there, um, you know, along the river. So, um, yeah, many stories about my grandma, which I'd love to share about. And I wanted to answer one of your questions about language revitalization because I feel like that's so important about, you know, um, this coming up more and more. And now there's immersion schools that are happening. I know for the Anishinaabe language, um, it's happening through songs. Um, but not just, I think, just, you know, Anishinaabe indigenous kids, but for all youth, right? Like you think about schools that are in the state of Minnesota, for example. I was doing some work there at the Guthrie Theater doing a show called Stories from the Drum. You know, in schools, a lot of these languages, the names and signs of towns are in Anishinaabe language. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the lakes, like Minnehaha, Minnetonka, like, you know, wherever you are, there are names and signs. So one, the language is already being spoken. It just people aren't sure how to connect the names and things like that. So there are, you know, books that are out there. There's uh, different kinds of websites. And I feel like, um, you know, uh, through artistry, people are also will put on music and you kind of get to learn about the names of things like a G-Jack on Turtle Island. It was really wonderful. There was a part where, you know, Grandmother Aki was telling a story, for example, and she was saying, hey, you have to help this little a G-Jack. And like tons of kids all the way up to the balcony were singing a G-Jack fly, a G-Jack fly. And a G-Jack means um, voice of the people. 
right? So with, they connected just learning this word in a song, leaving the theater singing that mm-hmm. song, and weeks later getting emails from parents singing, my child won't stop singing a G-Jack, and that, they were singing, oh, bring a voice to the people, mm-hmm. voice to the people, like in their homes, which is, you know, quite beautiful. So you start, as you all know, <laughs> very young, all the way up to elders, adults, there's always more to learn. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, we are going to be out and drinking some wine. And um, so if you have more questions for Ty, um, you'll have that chance. Uh, I just want to thank uh, Lincoln Center Education. I want to thank you all for your insightful questions and your wonderful mmms. Um, uh, <laughs> just being a really responsive and wonderful audience. And, um, and everyone's and, awake yet. And everyone's so awake. That's From amazing. Day. Um, and so this will be published um, on Thursday. So if you want to listen again, um, we can. Uh, that'll happen. And then you can also tell your peeps, tell others, because you might have thought that this was cool for them. Um, can we thank Ty one more time? Taking it in. Taking it in. Taking it in. Soak it up. (laughs) Kapow. Kapow. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for listening to episode 20 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Ty Defoe, Story Nurturer. Join us next time for a conversation with Hector Morales. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. Jana Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry and on Instagram at teachingartistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.